This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Your psycho-spiritual emotional health is crucial to a successful divorce. Collaborative divorce is available both as a legal and a mindset process. Would you like an amicable divorce? Would your spouse be interested in an amicable divorce? Can you resist pressure from friends and family to handle divorce in a confrontational manner and stand up to their pressure? Is it important to you to maintain a functional relationship with your former spouse in the future? Considering collaborative divorce could be a good bet. If you're looking for a legal, respectful, and practical divorce process, making sense of your life during divorce is possible through collaborative divorce, an out-of-court dispute resolution model. Valeria interviews Nancy A. Smith, Esquire, the author of Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. Nancy is an attorney licensed to practice in Vermont and New York, She is the chair of the Collaborative Divorce Section of the Vermont Bar Association, a leader in her Collaborative Divorce Practice Group, and a member of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals. She frequently writes and talks about divorce, family law, ethics, and collaborative divorce practices. She believes that a good divorce is possible when you show up for it with humility, compassion, and the correct support. Meet Nancy at nancysmithlaw.com. Here's the interview with Nancy A. Smith. In your own words, who is Nancy A. Smith? Well, thanks, Valeria. I, I ask myself that question every day when I wake up. Um, who am I and who do I think I am? Uh, so... I'm a philosopher at heart, I think, and I'm a trained attorney by profession. And, um, you know, I'm a daughter, I'm a mother, uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a seeker, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm always looking for uh, ways to expand my consciousness and my impact uh, in the world. Right. Uh, that sounds wonderful. And then you get me started with those um, spiritual <laughs> kind of flavored questions. You say, I'm a seeker, and then you're looking to expand consciousness. There's something about this topic and the practice of whatever that is. So my question is, what is spirituality to you? Well, what are your spiritual practices at this time? Sure. So I have a daily practice um, of meditation and uh, connection to my sense of spirit and I just want to try to be, you know, as calm as possible. And I, I, and I'm just learning at this stage of life, right. I'm 50, 
56. I just turned 56. And I've been a practicing lawyer for 30 years. My career was very important to me. My identity as a lawyer was very important to me. And throughout, at least for the last 15 years, I've been practicing, you know, meditation and uh, mindfulness and just trying to be okay with who I am now and accept uh, a lot of acceptance, a lot of surrender, (laughs) and a lot of like also balancing the footwork of what what can I do today that will move, um, what that will make me feel connected to others, to a sense of community, to a higher purpose. Um, I've always been drawn to the philosophical, and I've always believed that the big questions matter. So I love these questions, and I'm I'm happy to keep talking about uh, them. Yeah, thank you. The way you start answering that question with the word calm, which I I often use peace or inner peace, to me that would be at the beginning of the manifestation of what those spiritual truths can bring us in the sense of knowledge. Once you know the truth, then um, that's what happens. And then you become so much more calm. And then there's that component of acceptance being in the moment. I notice that there's a difference between the mind and what we call absolute consciousness or who we are truly, the true self. There's a difference between them. It's very subtle but it's not the same. Yeah, I understand that. Have you noticed that, Nancy? Meditating? Yes, I, I, I see that. And for me, my practice lately has been in um, more an embodiment and trying to just not be a brain, you know, in a, in a head walking on my shoulders uh, through I, life. I'm really I trying am. to feel yeah. things a little more. Yeah. And part of my experience in my profession was a lot of disconnection, a lot of slight dissociation from like my true spirit because I was like a gladiator in court and it was a you know it was a a venue where I could express a certain aspect of myself but as I got older um, and I did more training in trauma uh, being more trauma-informed I just realized I want more alignment uh, in my own self and in my clients and in my practice than uh, then I'm interested in the fragmentation of, you know, dissent and sort of unproductive conflict management. Mm. That's another beautiful message about bringing everything together or seeing that everything is already connected and not, not trying to live parts of life. It sounds like a practice. And um, from this perspective now, it, it still is. It's that practice of kind of removing what blocks us from seeing that, that connection, that inherent, like, it's so obvious to me now in this moment, like I'm talking to you is like talking to myself. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. But uh, I know sometimes it gets lost. And then we just get um, pulled into the experience of separation, that I am this body only or the mind only. And that's kind of, it's another interesting dance, as I call it, because what can we do, but just kind of move through it all? Exactly. And, and sort of appreciate the paradox of it, right? Like I think of, you know, the it's, it's paradoxical um, collaborative divorce um, because you need to come together to separate well. Right. Ah, that's beautiful. Wow. I didn't think that way. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> beautifully said. Wow. Yeah. Like I said, off record, I never heard about collaborative um, divorce. That's the first time I heard the term. So how did you come to this concept or this idea? I know it's legal, so it's something that it is established. But how did you come across this and chose to work with collaborative divorce, Nancy? Well, so 
as these things happen, um, I was sitting in an office. I was a young associate. I was probably working. It was 2005. Um, I had just come back from court and I think I was probably not consciously, but feeling depleted, um, even though it was sort of energizing and there's a certain amount of adrenaline that happens when you're in there, um, in the courthouse, it's quite dramatic. And it was a dramatic day. And, and somebody, I think called me a name. I think she called me a barracuda. And at the time I, I felt very conflicted about it. On the one hand, I was slightly proud. On the other hand, I was just kind of like, Oh, I don't want to be like an aggressive animal. <laughs> and then somehow I learned about, um, like literally it came in an email or something about collaborative divorce. There was a training about it and it had started about 15 years before I heard about it. And so it's been around for about 30 years and it's an evolving mindset and a process. And so when I heard about it, it just sounded like the most sensible approach. And I wondered why aren't we all doing this? And so I started looking into it and I created, um, we had a little practice group in Vermont. There were a couple of lawyers, maybe two or three of us that were interested in doing it. And over time it's built. And so now we have a practice group of about 13 people. Um, it's an interdisciplinary group of professionals. So there's lawyers, there's mental health professionals, and there's financial neutrals. And we all work together as an interdisciplinary team to create a safe container so that a couple who are separating can do it with dignity and mutual respect and transparency and some compassion and like basically have a separation ritual that conforms and aligns with their core values. And so once I heard about it, I was hooked. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it sounds like a calling, doesn't it? It was calling yes. you in a way. Yeah. With that in mind, when I think about what does it feel to be called to do something, to act upon something, they, they actually call it inspired action, taking inspired actions. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is something that has been already a call, like from our entire life, in our entire life. How do you feel about this idea of calling, purpose, meaning? Is that something that happened in the moment or... It's something that has been there. Um, you know, it's such a great question. I felt called into the law since I was very young. So I was one of these kids. I was about seven or eight. And I'm like, I told my parents one day, I think I was like, there was bullying going on on the playgrounds or something was going on. And, and also I grew up in Detroit in the 60s and there was um, all the civil rights issues were going on. And um, and I felt just very strongly about the injustices that were happening in the world. And I, I, I declared that I wanted, you know, first I said I wanted to be a judge, which my parents were like, well, you have to be a lawyer first. I'm like, fine, I will. And then, and then I just set myself on that path and I didn't really deviate from it. I knew I could study philosophy in college because I knew eventually I'd be a lawyer. And so I felt pretty called to the law from a very young age. And I really didn't want to, um, I wanted to be able to advocate for people who couldn't speak for themselves and who could stand up to bullies. I just really had to think about bullies. And I, I just, so I did it. And then the collaborative piece of it, I definitely felt called to do the book, um, to write the book because I wanted people to understand that it was an option and that they could become more educated before they go interviewing divorce lawyers, because I really do think the power is in the people and it's a, I feel like collaborative divorce is the best kept secret among family lawyers because we don't, not all of us talk about it and not all of, all of us believe in the paradigm shift, not all of us, you know, support it. And so if you end up with a lawyer and if your heart 
says you want to do it amicably and you'd like to do it collaboratively and you like this idea of a team approach, but the lawyer, the first lawyer you go to doesn't understand what you're talking about, <laughs> then you need to have the courage as the client to go to the next lawyer and to do the research and, you know, read the book or, or you know, Google collaborative divorce lawyers near me and find one that is going to support you on your journey because it's just another transition right. of life. Right. Yes, it sounds very kind to me. I mean, also intelligent in a way because it's it's so much energy spent and um, almost unnecessary energy when we engage in um, kind of these very negative thoughts. It's energy draining. So it sounds really good to me, the whole process uh, in idea in, in general. So I want to mention the book. You have written a book titled Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. And I have a lot of, lot of questions here for you. <laughs> oh, that's great. About that. But before that, um, I want to ask this question. What is your idea of love, or your understanding of love, and what are some of the misconceptions about love from your perspective, Nancy? Oh, my goodness. What a beautiful question. You know, what do I know about love? I don't know. I, I you know, you know, I could be kind of cynical. and be like, I'm the divorce lawyer. Why are you asking <laughs> yeah. about love? You know? All right. Like, I have to love, I yeah. can love in ruins every day, you know, but it's, yes. that's actually not true. People, mm. I think for me, love is that heart connection that we feel when we're connected to somebody, you know, and we have all these notions of romantic love and, and the English language, I don't think does a good job um, with how we, and sort of our Western culture about what we expect from love. And we have all these romantic notions of love and that one person is supposed to meet all of our needs forever. And we have these vows that seem so serious and the culture supports that we're going to, you know, have these wedding vows until death do us part. And now we live so long um, you know, having one primary relationship just doesn't even seem practical to me anymore. And so I have sort of like I have my romantic nature, but I also have my practical side, which um, tells me, you know, there's no shame in growing out of a relationship. And I believe that people come together at various times in their lives for various reasons. And there are also times when the relationship is no longer serving you. And so if you're in a marriage that is not serving you anymore and you're not feeling it your highest and best self, then that might be the opportunity to have a conversation that maybe you're not bringing out the best in each other, which I would hope that love, you know, would be where you're, where you are bringing out the best of each other. Um, but that's hard. It's a, it's a, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not married now. I was married um, for 22 years um, and getting divorced was the hardest decision I ever made, but it was definitely the best one. It allowed me to really come to terms with who I am and how I want to walk in the world. So speaking of your divorce, I was divorced twice too myself, and I never knew about collaborative divorce, but I think it was not necessary in my case. In mm -hmm. your case, that was something that it happened naturally, or you had to kind of think about it? The question really is, is collaborative divorce for everyone and works in every case? Well, clearly not, because it did not work in my case, um, and I didn't try to. I think I was so, I think my pain and my practicality. And I think I just didn't want to address the pain in the way that I think a collaborative divorce allows people the opportunity to truly grieve all of the losses that are happening. And by slowing down 
and having that emotional intelligence. I think when I was getting divorced, I just didn't have that capacity at the time. I had a 10 year old, I had the business, I had too much going on and I wanted to kind of put this painfulness into my rear view mirror. And so we did it in a different way. We didn't go to court, but we, I kind of put it all together and just kind of shoved it under his nose and said, here, sign this. And, you know, gratefully he did, but it, I wasn't prepared to do a collaborative divorce. I don't think, and I don't think he was either, but um, which was sad and kind of something, you know, that I, I regret not being able to do that. However, uh, so it's not for everybody. So collaborative divorce is probably not if you've got active addiction issues, if you've got active, um, untreated mental health issues, or you've got, um, a personality disorder situation where you really cannot sit in the same room and the person is completely untrustworthy and you really cannot, um, you know, you're just going to go around in circles. So those are the three main and, and active, uh, domestic violence. If there's active domestic violence, that would be a problem because you have to feel safe enough to be able to sit in the room together. And you also have to trust your spouse enough that they're not going to, you know, outright lie and engage in fraudulent, fraudulent behavior, really extremely fraudulent behavior. Um, if that happens, then you need to go to court and that's a good thing that court's available. But for the most, for the rest of us, you know, who don't have that actual active uh, problem going on, you could, even if it's painful, and even if there's really difficult things to talk about, like infidelities or um, mental health issues or gambling or anything, like we really can deal with whatever is presenting itself. We take our clients as we find them, and we really um, strive to to be open-minded and and not judgmental and just help them identify where their issues are, where they feel stuck, where they feel hopeful, where they feel concerned. Um, and then just, just work with everybody to get to a level playing field where everybody ultimately feels psychologically ready to get divorced. And then at that point, then the lawyers, you know, and the financial neutral, we all come together and we can start to generate ideas and options that will be good for everybody. So I, I would never present for example, a settlement that I know is going to be insulting to my, you know, my other lawyer on the other side and my, my client's spouse. I'm not going to start out lowballing. I'm not going to play games. We're not going to trick each other. We don't take advantage of mistakes. We, we talk about stuff. We also, as the container, we have to talk about ways that um, our clients and their dynamic might be trying to pull us into it. <laughs> and so as the professionals, we can't allow ourselves to, you know, fall into a, a marital trap. <laughs> right. <laughs> Become entangled with that as exactly. well. <laughs> wow. That sounds, um, it's almost like a work of a psychologist. <laughs> you Definitely. Are, right? That's why, we, that's why mm. we have the mental health professionals. They're usually PhD um family systems counselors, and they understand divorce, they understand grief, they understand child development, and they are, um, and family systems, and they really do educate us. Uh, and it is very psychological. I think, I think if you look at divorce through the lens of grief, which is how I look at it now, I think it's very psychological. And it's, I think it's 80% uh, emotional, 10% legal, 10% financial. That's my little, you know, that's how I see the chart. I see it 80% as emotional. I, I think the lawyers only get involved and become the star of the show when you go to court because you need lawyers to manage and navigate through that system. But that adversarial system, I would suggest, is not necessarily conducive to uh, emerging healthy and wholehearted 
instead of bitter and resentful. Another question that I have for you, it's out of curiosity, I think I have read that somewhere, but I'll ask you, what, since you mentioned earlier, what is the connection between philosophy and law? Oh, boy. Um, I'm sure there's treatises written about that um, yeah. by actual philosophers. And uh, I mean, there's theories of justice. There's, um, you know, that's what comes to mind. Uh, I think probably what drew me in is um, larger concepts like justice um, and moral values like fairness and equity and um Yeah, uh, integrity and and um, just order. You know, there's some sense of order that I also that also appeals to me in the law. Um, that we are, you know, governed by some principles so that we can engage as a collective um, in a humane way, um, and that uh, just how a civil society is going to run and operate. Uh, we need law, and we want it to be just. That makes a lot of sense to me. So it has that piece of personal worldview in a way that we adopt. And then from that, we just kind of integrate that within the system uh, in your case and so many other professions out there. But it's still um, representing who you are, your belief systems. So that makes sense. And any belief system can become a, a philosophy <laughs> or we can make yes. theories out of them. That's um, true. That makes so much sense to me now. So another open question is about the, the main goal and intention for writing your book, Nancy, Untangling Your Marriage. My intention was to educate the public so that they could intelligently and make informed decisions about how they want to separate. And I want to be part of the conversation to shift the paradigm of how we approach ending important relationships. And I just think that people don't know that there are other options. And I was, you know, for 20 years I've been struggling and so have my colleagues across the country to let this be known. And we write books for each other and we go to trainings for each other, but nobody that I saw had really written the book for the people. So I wrote the book for the people. It, it's not, it's not fancy. It's like my view on how to deal with your divorce lawyer and some, you know, tips and practical ideas about Uh, collaborative divorce as an option. And even if you don't choose a collaborative divorce, you can still use the principles and the mindset and do not allow your divorce to ruin you because um, it could, but you have to have a certain de degree of consciousness about going into this. And even if you're the one on the receiving end, it doesn't matter whether you're the one initiating or you're the one on the receiving end, it is going to be a grieving process. And I think you need to brace yourself for that so that you can then act accordingly because if you start acting cuckoo you know people will understand and because you'll be like oh it's just grief and grief comes out in a lot of you know a lot of different ways and i think if you would have more understanding more compassion for your spouse for yourself for your children uh if you could do it in a way that understood it from the lens of grief and that you're going to go through the stages you know sort of the kubler ross stages of grief, you know, and there's going to be denial. Uh, denial can last for a long time. And I think once you come to a collaborative process, um, even though you both think that you want to get divorced and you both know it's the right thing to do and you come to the first meeting, it's often very emotional because it's, it's real. Um, it's now it's, it's, we're calling it and we're going to go through this process and, and 
hold everybody through the deep emotional sort of transformation that takes place when you're letting go of a primary relationship. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. I love the way you you connect this idea of grief, what it means for most of us with divorce. Of course, it makes so much sense because it's losing. So it's not mm. grief. It's not just about losing people we love or people close to us, but anything that has been perceived as a loss will cause us grief. It's been my own experience, of course, losing so many things. That makes so much sense. The more you, you use the word, the more it kind of becomes almost like this vivid idea of what that is. It's sadness. I mean, it's, um, there's confusion too. Uh, yeah, it's oh, definitely all, sad. All yeah. You know, and what I like to think about, and I tell clients, I say, you know, divorce, sometimes I try to make a joke and I say, you know, divorce is like a death in the family, except nobody's bringing you food. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and the reason why it is <laughs> like um, a little death um, first of all, when you start telling people about it, everybody wants to move away from you. They're all thinking it's contagious. You know, everyone's kind of, nobody knows how to really handle it. They're worried about the friendships. And I think what you end up losing and what I think I, what I try to explain to clients is there's going to be a loss of, first of all, your best friend, your lover, your identity as a husband or a wife or a spouse in, in the culture, your status as a son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Uh, you're going to lose half the time with your children. Most likely you're going to lose, somebody's going to move. So somebody's going to lose their housing. Um, you're going to lose half of your wealth that you've accumulated during the marriage. And then you're going to lose potentially your identity. Cause if you were either the primary worker or you were the primary caregiver, either one of you are going to be changing your identities because you can't usually sustain that completely um, after divorce. So somebody's going to shift and their identity is going to be challenged. And then the thing that really gets people right in the gut is this loss of the idea of what you thought you were creating. Mm, yeah. Wow, right? It's the big one. Yeah. It's the biggest one. It's like, that's the one that crushes your soul. You know, you're like, oh my God. And that's where I think the idea of somehow failure comes in as if, you know, sticking it out is somehow, you know, being a martyr and sticking it out just for the children or for longevity purposes. Um, it just doesn't serve us because if it's not working, it's just not working. And it's not a failure. It's just an adjustment. Like people grow in different ways at different times and it doesn't have to be so shameful. That's what I, that's really also why I wrote the book. Like, I just don't want there to be so much shame about it. Right. What you said kind of made me reflect about, Kind of this idea that we are creating something as of this moment, whatever we do, there's this expectation that something will come out of it. It's, mm. We have, we are very attached to the things we do. Most of us, yes. um, especially in relationships. That's so true, Nancy. That's a big one. So if that's the reason, it might be the reason why I choose to engage in practices, spiritual practices, to deepen my sense of not detachment, but engagement with without attachment. So fully engaged, but no, not attached. Yeah. Yes. I think that's, that is the practice, right? To not, to be on, like, there is no path, right? It's yes. just, you're, you're yeah. just doing, you're, you're right. being. And right. when we're in a collaborative divorce, we have an opportunity to come together to co-create like what the next phase of your life is going to look like in relation to your spouse. And it's very profound work. And there's a real opportunity to bring your 
your best self to the table, even if you feel your worst. And I think that's another message that I really love about the collaborative model is that we understand that you're feeling your worst. Like nobody feels good about getting divorced, even if you're the one who's asking for it. Um, but you're not going to feel great about it. So the question is, can you move beyond your feelings about not feeling great and still behave in a way that you can demonstrate resilience for your children who are watching you like a hawk, right? Um, can you demonstrate how to handle adversity and conflict in a way that is mutually respectful? And um, can you listen to learn? Can you be curious about somebody else's perspective? Or are you going to just persist with your own self-righteous, you know, view of things and, you know, point the finger and, you know, blame your spouse for ruining your life? I mean, that's an option, but I would suggest that's not one that most people, if you really are given a little bit of space and time to reflect, which I think the people who are drawn to a collaborative model are going to be the type of people who are going to be drawn to the idea of how can I use this uh, for my my best higher self and good for the future and the best way to do this for my children. And those folks will take the time to, you know, work with their coach and set goals for themselves and set their intentions and um, be willing to be called on if they start acting out yeah. <laughs> in some way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, um, I mean, it really sounds like a spiritual work <laughs> that you're doing. Right? <laughs> I, I have to say, yes, it's um, kind of showing, pointing this way of thinking, of seeing reality differently, that there's not just one way. So this is what's happening. What do you think is happening? But this is how we, you can also see it. There's a, there's a different light through which you can see the situation. So that's a spiritual, I mean, everything is spiritual to me. So right. I really love what you're doing, Nancy. Thank you. So I wonder if everyone knows about this option of collaborative divorce. Is that something that has been advertised? Of course, I'll be sharing with everyone in my community. But in general, in the country, even in the world, is that something that most people know about? No, this is the mm, problem. That's right. why I wrote the book, right. because hardly anybody knows about it. It's like, it's such a gift to each other. It's like the last good thing you can do for each other um, is you're on your way out, like give each other the dignity of a decent divorce and you will just be setting up, you know, so much good karma or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it, yeah. you know, for down yeah. the road, um, plus setting the example for your children. And I just, truthfully, you're going to think this is silly, but I think that it leads to world peace. Like I think world mm. peace starts at home, you know, yes. and yes. you've got to pull yourself together, even if you're feeling pulled apart. And this is an opportunity to do the work so that you can really step into your future confidently with your best foot forward and, and just feel like okay about yourself. Um, just feel okay about yourself and that you're not going to get sort of mired down in the cultural baggage of, you know, somehow being a failure because your marriage didn't work out. Right. Yeah. Beautifully said, Nancy, about world peace. That's how it starts, of course, within. We right. are the ones. <laughs> one yeah. by one, if we can all become peaceful, then that's what we'll get. We will experience this reality very differently. We're almost at the end, and I have a lot of questions for you, technical questions. I have to ask this one <laughs> for those who are going through uh, or thinking about divorce and uh, going through the process even. What is the collaborative divorce process? I know there are five stages, so I would love to uh, disclose that for the audience, Nancy. Sure, great. So basically, you come together and um, you, you assemble a team, and you talk about your goals and your interests. So the team is 
the lawyers, the two collaboratively trained lawyers, and the audience should know when you're looking for a collaborative lawyer, we often identify ourselves with this logo from the, it's called the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, the IACP. And all of us use their branding and that will tell the public that this lawyer has been collaboratively trained because all of the lawyers um, have to go through at least a two-day initial training and then we have ongoing um, requirements to stay up to speed on best practices for negotiation. Um, and so the lawyers usually assemble a team and then we put a, put together the mental health coach. Um, in California, for example, they have two coaches. Um, some places have a two-coach model. Some places use one coach. And then we also um, find a financial neutral um, who's usually a certified financial divorce analyst or a CPA or somebody very skilled in dealing with divorce and um, and all of that. So we put together the team. We come together. We talk about our goals and interests. The clients really do a deep dive about what their hopes are, uh, what brought them here, what what's important to them, what are their concerns. We gather information. Um, so at the same time that the couple might be working on communication or building accountability or rebuilding trust, because usually trust has kind of fallen by the wayside when people come to their divorce decision. They don't really trust each other. They're not communicating well. There's no accountability. Everybody feels like the other person's getting away with something. So we work through all that with the mental health coach. Um, meanwhile, the financial person is gathering and collecting and analyzing the financial data. The lawyers are here to be supportive for our clients um, if they have you know, specific questions or need some guidance. And then once the, all the information is gathered and once people feel psychologically ready to, to move to the next stage, then and they understand the financial reality, because usually in, one, in a marriage, somebody is more facile with the numbers and has more experience running the household budget and the other person doesn't. So we make sure that everybody's on the same playing field and then we generate options and we evaluate the choices and we look for win-win opportunities for everybody and then people make decisions and then the lawyers draft up the agreements and then we file it with the court. Yeah. It sounds simple in a way. I know it's not simple. It takes a team, right, to work all those details. So it's available in the country. Yes. Anyone who's looking to be divorced in a kind way, I would say, if I can yep. translate differently or use a different word, then um, they look for uh, a lawyer in their state that could represent them. Is that also possible to contact you for yes. Yeah, suggestions? Yes, of course. You can, you can always contact me and I can do a consultation and then I can help find professionals in your area. And usually it's by county. Um, so you would look for a, a divorce lawyer, collaborative divorce lawyer near me. And if you just Google that, somebody's going to come up. And then you want to make sure that they actually do promote the collaborative model because a lot of people say they do, but then they really don't. And you just want to make sure that they really are committed to it. And then you'll get that sense. Your clients, your listeners will get that sense from making a connection with the lawyer. And often the, the collaborative lawyers will usually not try to get a retainer from you right away. They're just going to want to have a conversation with you. They're going to want to hear where you're coming from. They're going to do an assessment, an honest assessment of whether you're good for this process because we don't want to start one of these processes and then have it fail and have somebody withdraw because there's a disqualification clause, which is part of the agreement, which says that if either of the clients don't want to do this anymore and they start the process, then the lawyers will withdraw from the process. We will not take our clients to court. So you can't play that game where you're going to hold something back if you're the lawyer and you're going to say, well, sure, I'll give it a try. I'll try to be collaborative. But if it doesn't work, I'll just go to court. 
And we don't get to do that. We say, we really trust this model. We can roll up our sleeves and get the work done. 98% of all cases settle, whether they're collaborative or whether you're in court. It's only the most challenging ones that end up, you know, the 2% that end up in a full-blown litigation case. Um, So we just try to we just try to manage, you know, the expectations um, early. And, um, and like you said, it's not, it's a simple process, but it's not easy. It's like meditating. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's easy. It's very simple. It can be done, but it's not right. It takes commitment, doesn't it? it it's yeah. our own commitment. So before we say goodbye for today, I want to mention in your book, I found a, a passage, a section that says self-care. And I love the way you write there. You say, what have you done for your self-care lately? Question mark. <laughs> and then you say, it is time to take care of yourself, whatever that means for you. So that's another kind of shifting, almost shifts your perspective because a lot of things we have this idea of, of what self-care is. But then there are so many ways we can do that. You give some suggestions, of course, even being around an animal, a pet, that is so healing, so wonderful. There's something else that caught my attention was in your book, you have at the end of each chapter, you have section that that reads thoughts to consider and then thoughts to let go and then (laughs) practical tips. So that was uh, thoughts to let go. That was almost like, to me, a very deep philosophical and spiritual practice. (laughs) How many thoughts can we let go, especially the the harsh ones, the unkind ones, the negative ones? Uh, Let go in a sense of uh, paying attention to them, of understanding, listening. So I love how thoughtful you were, even by having that. And also a practical tip that caught my attention is where you say, I'm, don't, I'm not sure where I found this but it's in your book, but you said, surround yourself with people, places, and activities that bring you joy. You deserve it. Mm. That put, I had a smile on my face when I read that. It's, yeah, we see we own that to ourselves in a way. It goes back to them, that peace that we need to find the peace within. We need to become what we want to see out there. So that was the message for me. Uh, your entire work is very spiritual. So thank, thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for seeing that, Valeria. I really appreciate it. I, that's exactly it. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Um, thank you for being open to life and allowing yourself to do this, to kind of grow into uh, that, uh, the self that never left you. That was always there waiting for you, in a sense, which is not even waiting to hear now. <laughs> Before we say goodbye for today, I do have a few more questions. Um, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book and say another passage? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, okay, uh, sure, I'll do a quick one. I just pulled it open. Uh, page 79, it says, this is a good one, actually. Develop a shared narrative. Instead of insisting on your version of reality and trying to convince your spouse and everyone around you why you are right and they are wrong, try to wait try to raise your awareness about the language you use with your children and your spouse. In the collaborative model, one of the first steps we will help you with is how to start a conversation right away with your spouse, either directly or through the help of a mental health professional, to create and stick to a jointly authored narrative you can use to speak with your children, friends, and family about your decision to live in separate homes. Mm. How do they find success these days? What is to be successful to you? Oh, for me, 
success now is um, appreciating the gifts that I have. That's it. I, I really just want to appreciate all the gifts that I've been given and I want to serve and I want to be available to people. Um, so I hope people find me like that's my new, that's my growth edge. I have to trust that um, people will find me. The people who need the support will find me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you will be my community everywhere. <laughs> that's Thank what I, I thought about when I saw it. Like, wow, how many of us are probably... Uh, thinking about this divorce and all that, but not, don't, we don't know how to navigate that realm. So here we are. Yes, uh, my community will know about you, Nancy. For years to come, I'll be resharing this information. What is one experience you wish to have before you lose the body, before you die? Oh, my goodness. Valeria. <laughs> an experience. I, yeah. you know, I think I'd like to be in love again. Right. I think I would. I, I, it's yeah, that would be that's the only thing that can come to mind that is is of significance um, that I don't already have, because I've I've always felt, you know, any day could be your last day. So you really do have to live it with the vigor that um, you've been given and use the tools that you have and have as part of it, positive an impact on the people around you that you can. So, you know, I'm always kind of prepared to die. Um which not in a morbid way, but just like if it were to happen, I want to have lived a very complete and satisfying life. So I, I don't strive for a lot of other, you know, new new things to happen. But I think when you really boil it down, I think I do want to be in love again. I want to have that feeling more embodied, less intellectual, more embodied. Yeah, I love that answer. <laughs> That's one of the, the answers that most people give it to me when I ask them about experiences to wish um, other people to have before they die. Love is mm. the first one. For most, yeah. most people. I so. think it's the most important one, right? That's our operating system. That's going to change the world. That is what's changing the world. Yes. So. Uh, yes, a billion times to that. Uh, <laughs> and the vision, that vision. Uh, so I wish that for you too, Nancy. It's um, it, the interesting thing for me has been, it is wonderful to have somebody to love you, but we've got to love ourselves though. That's mm. where everything starts, really. That unconditional love for ourselves. I mean, yep. I really mean unconditional Yep. Then it's so much easier. Almost we attract a bunch of people <laughs> that love right. themselves too. So yeah. that's the, the that for me has been a, a, an interesting realization because I always was looking for people to love me and all that. But uh, now I know that love is here already in my own heart. Exactly. So before we say goodbye, I want to thank you again for your beautiful presence, uh, for being genuine, for being open to life in the way you are, open to your own truth and to passing that wisdom on. It's really, really something that I, I appreciate deeply for some reason. So thank you so much, Nancy, for being yes. you. Oh, I'm humbled. Thank you for having me. And then my ending, ending technical question before we say goodbye for today, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Great. Thanks. Yes. Just um, Google Nancy Smith and um nancysmithlaw.com is my website uh there's a spot about the book the book is on amazon so you can just type in uh, untangling your marriage a guide to collaborative divorce and that'll show up on amazon and yeah people are welcome to to just reach out to me and i'm happy to um consult wherever you are Wonderful. And I'll have the link, the clickable link on your podcast profile for the book on Amazon and also your website. Great. Thank you so much again, Nancy, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening. To learn more about Nancy A. Smith and her work, please visit nancysmithlaw.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.